Hello and welcome to the February episode of the Investor's Guide to China. I'm Catherine Young, Investment Director at Fidelity International. And I'm Marty Dropkin, Head of Equities, Asia Pacific. In today's episode, we're tackling a topic that often flies under the radar, but in fact could hold great potential for investors. And that's China's bond market. Investors focused on the stock market and the challenges Chinese property developers are facing have often overlooked China's bonds, which in the last few years have boasted some of the best returns. So why is it that the same economic narrative about China is playing out so differently in equities versus bonds? And are the driving forces the same for both asset classes? China's bond market, enormous topic. So where shall we begin, Marty? It's it's huge, Catherine. And as you know, China's bond market is one of the biggest ones in the world and continues to grow. You know, in my experience, having worked in Asia in fixed income for a long time, it's also a topic I'm really passionate about. So as our first guest, I would like to introduce Lei Zhu, somebody who's extremely knowledgeable in this area. She is Fidelity's head of Asia fixed income in Hong Kong. Hi, Lei. Hi, Marty. Lei, before we get into some of the details about China's bond market, why don't we do a little bit of back to basics on, on the structure of it? Why does China have an onshore and an offshore market in the first place? China has a unique structure, right? So the domestic markets, as you mentioned, is the second largest market globally. So we are talking about over uh, 20 trillion US dollar. That's a CMY market. In the meantime, there's a two offshore markets. One is a US dollar market. So that's uh, with uh, most of the Chinese companies coming to the US dollar market to raise foreign debt. On the other hand, we also have a offshore RMB bond market, also called Ding Sum bond market, started in 2010 as a pilot program for investors to get access to the RMB currency. Well, at the time, it's hard to get domestic onshore market. So this onshore market, it's the biggest one in terms of onshore versus offshore. So what's exactly on offer? So for the onshore market is an interbank market. So as you can imagine, most of the participants are the banks and insurance. There's no retail there. The minimum like trading ticket size, we're talking about 10 million RMB. So it's a pure institution market. And the market uh, has been closed for a long time. Only sovereign wealth funds or some insurance company have been able to access to it. Until 2017, then the foreign investors like us allowed to open account. So it's an old market uh, with long track record. However, it is one of the largest open in capital market in the past, you can say, six, seven years. It's a new market to global investors, but the market itself has been there for like over 20 years. So relative to other markets across Europe, let's say Asia, what are some of the similarities and differences? If you compare it to the other markets, I would say like any domestic market, predominantly it's a rates market. So you have local government bonds and municipal bonds. You have policy banks, agency banks. Then you have also uh, the corporate and the commercial banks. So it's about, I will call it a 70 rates and 30 credit. If you look at the other market like US or Europe, or even like in Asia, talking about Japan, like Singapore, similar structure, you have majority of the markets are Gavi or agency, and then a small portion is credit. So it's the same uh, market structure. So CGBs, or Chinese government bonds, are an area of great interest for one of Fidelity's multi-asset portfolio managers. 
George Ephistopoulos is based in Singapore, but I managed to grab him for a coffee whilst he was visiting Hong Kong recently to better understand how CGBs can add value to a multi-asset strategy. George, hello. Great to see you in Hong Kong. You're a multi-asset manager who can invest anywhere in the world. But tell me, why do you focus on Chinese government bonds? Why would one not invest in China government bonds? <laughs> That's, the, I think, the key question, because you know, everyone wants to have a portfolio of growth and defensiveness. And that's what really lacked in the world the past few years, because we've seen government bonds across the world lose value, sometimes in tandem with equities, sometimes standalone. There's been one government bond market that's actually done phenomenally well these past few years, and that's China government bonds, both in absolute returns, but also on risk-adjusted terms. Now, the world is worried about China, right? Is that good or is that bad for bonds? I'd say that's fantastic news for government bonds. And if specifically the world is worried about you know, Japanification of China, well, let's remind ourselves, what was a trade you did not want to have in the past 10, 15 years? It was being short or being underweight Japanese bonds because that was considered the widow maker trade. As a result, one should pay a lot more attention to China government bonds. Last summer, Morgan Lau, who's one of our fixed income colleagues as a fund manager, was talking about the longer term factors driving the RMB itself. How are you looking at the bond market in terms of the RMB over the short term? I think that's a key question because I think owning China government bonds is probably the easier part of the equation. Whether that should be hedged or unhedged, and then the cost of that hedging is probably the more difficult one. Now, we've seen deflationary pressures in China that's ongoing. Um, we've seen more easing taking place. So, you know, these are elements that probably should lead more towards uh, CGB's depreciation, especially as PBOC, um, the, the central bank, seems to be increasingly more willing to allow the renminbi to be a stabilization factor for the rest of the economy. But there are some counter arguments. We have seen quite meaningful inflows back to China government bonds the last quarter of 2023. You know, that is a positive thing. And then the other part of the equation is what happens to bond markets in other places. If the US eases meaningfully, actually that could be a positive factor for the renminbi. But if the US economy continues to be very, very strong and perhaps the Fed doesn't ease as much as the markets are pricing in, perhaps then there's more downside pressures for the renminbi. What about the offshore dollar market, though? So it used to be a great source of return, but let's face it, all the negative headline news flow around the domestic Chinese property market. How are you seeing this all develop? When it comes to credit, we have to think of the two markets, investment grade and high yield, and they have been behaving differently because most of the property issuance has been in the high yield market. The investment grade market has actually been fairly resilient, I'd say. Spreads have been well behaved. The composition in terms of sectors is a lot more diversified. And I think some of the factors driving that better performance are still at play. For instance, interest expense seems to be you know, at quite comfortable levels. And if you look at issuance, supply, that's also pretty decent. On the high yield market, it's going through a transformation. China property used to be the biggest component in, in, in its composition. That's going through a lot of transformation. And there will be some winners, there will be some losers, as we all know. Um, but at the same time, that universe has other pockets that are looking interesting. Gaming, for instance, Macau. It will be a different market compared to what it's been in the past, and there will always be opportunities as well. George, so much to consider, but in the interim, let's continue and enjoy our coffee. Thank you, Catherine.
You know, Catherine, listening to what you and George just talked about, it really reminds me of the conversations we were having about U.S. bond markets some years ago, where everybody was watching the U.S. and thinking it can't keep going lower. It can't keep going lower on yields. And it did. Now, clearly, we've backed up from that. But aren't we having the same conversations about China now where everybody's looking at, you know, CGBs baking through 3%, even going south of that on the 10-year and, you know, the policy structure that we're looking at in China is heading in that direction. It sure is. And interestingly, is the market getting enough attention, though? You know, you said that everyone was watching the U.S. many years ago. Are we watching China in the same regard? Yeah, I'm not sure we are. And, and again, as you and I always discuss, the equity markets tend to get a lot of the attention in China. And they've been struggling over the last few years, whereas the bond markets have been going up. So we still have Lei with us, but for our next guest, uh, I'd like to introduce Alvin Cheng. Alvin is a Shanghai-based fixed-income portfolio manager at Fidelity International's mutual fund business in China, which is independently run. Hi, Alvin. Hi, Marty. Alvin, you know, Catherine just talked about how some investors aren't as familiar with the China bond markets and particularly the onshore markets. What would you tell them? I think for a lot of offshore investors, they are probably not so familiar uh, with the onshore structure of the onshore market. For the rates part, as I mentioned, they are the majority kind of composition of the onshore market, which accounts for something like 70% of the market. For the credit part, also, it's a very investment-grade, um, concentrated market. Majority of the issuers in the China bond market are mostly like uh, state-owned enterprises, uh, local government-related entities, and the financial entities. So they all have relatively higher ratings in the onshore market, and they have very um, strong access in the onshore capital market to both the bond market and then loans from the banks. So if you look at the accumulative kind of default rate of these state-related entities across China, they're also very low. On the other hand, the riskier part for the China onshore market is relatively limited. Um, for private-owned entities, including those property companies, given actually a, a lot of weaker ones has been defaulted or going out of the market in the previous few years, now this part has shrinked a lot. If we uh, calculate how much of the bonds are actually issued by issuers with private ownership, that probably only account for 1% to 2% in terms of outstanding amount across the whole market. If you look at default rate going forward, it's probably still going to be like a safer place to invest. And Lei discussed a little bit of this earlier. Aside from defaults and some of the structural things that you just talked about, what other factors are, are driving returns on bonds in the near term? The rates has been going lower and lower in the past two or three years, given that the general um, economy growth is under some pressure after the COVID. Um, on the other hand, the credit spread is also generally in a compression trend in the onshore market. I think this has been driven by a lot of factors. Uh, firstly, given that the China government's effort um, to support real economy, that banks has been more and more supportive to the right refinancing needs of the real economy, making the issuers easier to get capital from out of the bond market. So in terms of that refinancing kind of a capability, it is getting stronger. So this has been driving the credit spreads tighter. On the other hand, uh, given the relatively challenging environment of the equity market, as you have just mentioned, the risk appetite across investors in China onshore market has getting safer and safer. So we have been seeing more and more asset shifting from the equity market going into the fixed income market. So these demand actually has also make I mean the credit spread tighter. So combining the rates factor and the credit spread factor, actually the credit bonds are, are making a very good performance in the past few years in China. Yeah, Alvin, and we're clearly seeing those flows out of the equity market into the bond markets. Lei, back to you. 
How accessible are the onshore bond markets to foreign investors and how can they access CGBs or other bonds in, in China? For the China onshore bond markets as offshore investors, so first of all, you have to be institutional investor. So same as onshore, there's no individual's account. So for investors who want to go into the market, I mean, most uh, for retails, they have to buy a fund which invests in domestic market, either via a CIBM scheme, so which is the China Interbank Bond Market Scheme, or via the Bond Connect uh, route. So there's the two major sources um, for that. And there's a small channel is uh, the buyer to go into the stock market. There's some exchange traded bond, but this market is getting smaller and smaller. So the main part for institutional investor is to either have CIBM account or have a bond connect account. And for retail, you have to buy funds. So China's entry into global bond indices, it's attracted a lot of capital as, as well as attention. How much more weight can China gain in these various benchmarks? And also, how much more capital could that bring into the market itself? At the moment, for the China part of the Global Ag Index, they mainly focus on CGB and the policy bank. So there's a big part of the market, which is over 20 plus percent, is local government bonds, which are classified as a sovereign debt by rating agency, and also they are tax-free. So this part is not yet included in the Global Ag Index. If you include that, there's a clearly another 3 to 4 percent for the total cap. At the moment, it's about 7 percent. So it didn't capture the largest component yet. So another part is we're talking about just a possibility of Chinese government to increase their physical deficit and then increase the supply of uh, government bonds to support the growth and to get off the current deflation environment. So you could see increase of supply from either government bonds or local government or uh, policy bank. So that as the market grows, the weighting can become bigger. Because if China itself, you look at it, 20 trillion US dollar, but overall the debt market to the GDP is still relatively uh, lower than US and then Japan. So if we apply same ratio of US and Japan, the, the, the bond market to GDP, you can easily see uh, China market go 40 trillion in years to come. So that will double current weighting in the index. There are some restrictions when it comes to U.S. investors into certain Chinese companies or, or segments. Are you seeing the same kind of situation in the bond market in terms of U.S. investors holding Chinese government bonds? At the moment, it's not that much because it's a sovereign debt, right? The sovereign debt also have a high international credit rating, A+. So we don't see it as a major issue at the moment. And also CGB and Policy Bank of China offer good liquidity. And even during COVID time, like in March 2020, when U.S. Treasury at one time, the B offer can be as wide as five basis point, the Chinese CGB market is still function very normally. So that demonstrates the depths of the market. Alvin, can I just ask you a question about what Lei just said? Normally, when you're seeing a lot of supply about to enter the market, you would not want to be buying bonds. But we're painting a little bit of a positive picture here. Why would we buy bonds with the amount of supply potentially coming that Lei just talked about? 
Every time when you talk about the supply, I think we should also think about the demand side. I think for China bond market,、um, there is a demand increasing from the domestic and the global market. If we take global market first, I'm、um, starting from I think 2019, we start to see the major global index actually putting the China bonds into the inclusion, and then we have actually seen like a continuous flow of external kind of money into China bond market, where as they said, they mainly go to the government bond side, which is a new source of demand. In the domestic market. There's a kind of a trend of the yields going lower, so the returns of government bond in the past year has actually been strong. So if we invest in thirty-year CDB bond in last year, the total return you get from the both the coupon and the capital market can easily add to like eight to nine percent. In last year, so this appears a very attractive kind of investment for both the institutional client and the retail client. So we have been seeing increasing money flow into this market as well. So with that, I think the problem can somehow be absorbed in this demand. We just talked a lot about government bonds, but let's talk about China's corporate bonds. I had a chat with Crystal Soy, one of Fidelity's senior credit analysts in Shanghai. We had a chance to dig into some of the things she's seeing and hearing on the ground. Including her research into China's tech sector. Crystal, could you give us an idea of the kinds of bonds in your coverage and a sense of which of those bonds have been performing well? I currently cover some China and Asian companies in the technology, utilities, and consumer sectors. So I look at their bonds issued in both the offshore U.S. dollar market as well as bonds issued in the domestic local currency bond market. In recent months, actually, we are seeing some good performance for Chinese issuers with positive returns in in both of these markets. And I think this has been supported by some common factors as well. Like one is the decrease in treasury rates in both U.S. and China due to lower inflation in the U.S. and weaker economic momentum in China. While the other tailwind is probably the scarcity of supply. A lot of these Chinese issuers they have alternative channels to refinance their bonds, such as internal cash or low-cost domestic bank loans. And lack of supply has really led to yield chasing, fixed income investors bidding up the existing bonds. A lot of our listeners focus on equities, and and one thing I think they'll be wondering is, is the type of analysis that you do in fixed income is it different than what an equity analyst would do? Actually, I would say it's both similar and a bit different. So as fixed income analysts, we do look at a company's fundamental trends and drivers, similarly on the quantitative and qualitative sides. But our focus might be a bit different versus the equity counterparts, as we care more about things like cash flow, balance sheet, and potential downsides rather than focus on growth and upside. For example, capital allocation. If the company is doing more investments and share buybacks, it could be more positive on the equity side. But for the、uh, fixed income side, that might be viewed more negatively as it depletes the company's cash flow to repay debts. And one recent case is Chinese smartphone maker Xiaomi. The company is venturing into electric vehicle manufacturing. While the equity side might see some growth potential from this new business over the medium term,、uh, bond investors might be thinking more about whether there could be heavy capital investments or potential loss-making under competition, and whether that could undermine the company's cash buffer or add to its leverage. I guess last question I have for you, Crystal, is, you know, let's look out into 2024. What are you going to be looking for? What are you watching? 
at the current um, stage, if we look at Chinese or Asian issuers' credit spreads, uh, which means their yield pickup over the government treasury rates, they have generally actually performed quite well and does not seem that cheap compared to the historical levels. So I would focus on two key things. One is the geopolitical risk in this election heavy year. This could pose some downside tail risk to companies such as the Chinese tech companies. So that means we shouldn't be too aggressive to chase the rally, especially in the more expensive pockets where such risks might be underpriced. Another theme I'm focusing on is the cyclical recovery in, in the tech hardware sector, as I referred to in the Xiaomi example previously. Um, so after one year or so of destocking and, and reduction in production in, in this sector, we are really seeing some pickup in, in demand in the consumer electronics and correspondingly in some of the semiconductor names. All right. Thank you very much, Crystal. Thanks, Marty. What Crystal just said about this year and the, the areas that she's looking at or focusing on in terms of the U.S. election and the impact there, as well as the overall tech hardware cycle. I mean, I've had a number of conversations with the equity analysts and the equity fund managers on these exact same topics this week. Yeah, I know. And it was really interesting what you talked about with Xiaomi, wasn't it? Because this correlation clearly between what's happening in the equity markets and the bond markets. And I think she really brought that to life in her comments. So Alvin, you know, hearing what Crystal just had to say, does that resonate with what you're seeing on the ground in the onshore bond markets? On one hand, I think the economy has still continued to recover from the shock from the COVID. Um, so consumption has been slowly ramping up. And we are seeing the government actually putting a lot of efforts rebuilding the growth into sectors like infrastructure and property. Uh, we see a lot of central government policy on key projects across the nation, like affordable housing and a kind of shantytown renovation. That will boost up the infrastructure sector, which, I mean, the cash flow for our commodity and upstream company can be repaired. On the other hand, we are seeing more and more kind of supportive policy toward the refinancing of the property sector, which has been heavily hit in the past few years. And then we are actually seeing the stronger property companies able to issue bonds again in the China bond market. So I think that these efforts, along with the government's push for the banks to really support the real economy, I think the fundamentals of the majority of the domestic credit issuer will still be quite stable. But also, I think there are some risks in the general sector as well. One of the key risks that we've been seeing is that in previous years, uh, we see the local government financing vehicles, the LGFVs, doing a hyper growth in terms of building infrastructure. And they are building a very high stack of debt, some with also very high interest rate. And then now with the returns of these projects actually going lower, um, they are facing a higher and higher a kind of bond repayment pressure. But on the other hand, actually, we are seeing the government really paying attention to this problem. So a big campaign that has been put out uh, in the last year and probably going to happen in the next year is that a huge bond swap program where they will swap the high interest rate bonds from these local government financing vehicles with lower interest rates that issued by local government. So with that, we are also seeing these kind of risks getting mitigated. We still see some bumps in the market, but a general kind of outlook for the credit in China is still going to be quite um, supportive, in my opinion. Lei, it's interesting. When you think about the property sector and the impact on the bond market or the fixed income market, when you think about the local government financing vehicles, from a policy perspective and a development of the market point of view, 
it's been more quite pragmatic what's happened, right? Well, yes, property sector is always a very hot topic. For the bond investors, so it's divided into two markets. Property bonds are at least 10 to 20% of the entire Chinese US dollar bond market, and it has suffered dramatically for the past couple of years. However, if you look at China domestic onshore bond market, I think the overall sector exposure to real estate is less than 1.5%. And why, I mean, they are coming to offshore bond market was because they were banned from issuing onshore bonds. Part of the measurements they experienced, I mean, the previous years, when Chinese government want to implement some measures to curb the property development, etc. So one of the measures is they don't allow property company to tap the domestic bond market. So that's why the pain like we suffer as an international market, they totally just don't share it. So that also tells why you don't see much support for that market, right? To them, there's almost no impact. And even within this 1.5% of property sector, most of them are state-owned enterprise property company, not talking about the private ones. So does it reflect that really the government and the regulators are more concerned for the domestic investor base versus the foreigners? It doesn't bode well for the foreign investors, does it? When we're talking to regulators, uh, they were saying we can only control the market we can control because Chinese regulator, PBOC, etc., they can only control the domestic bond market, right? It's like Fed can only talk about US dollar bond market. You cannot control the offshore bond market. So offshore bond market is kind of self-regulated market. There's no central banks can influence it. So by all this, the, the opportunities for you and where you're excited is definitely the onshore market. So it's always good to be together with a regulator. I mean, that, that's, <laughs> that's something. I mean, we're talking about the central bank put, right? But then, of course, there's a different market because the volatility in the offshore market is high. That also offer us alpha opportunity. Well, for the onshore market, if you look at the volatility, is super low. We're talking about 1% kind of volatility and a super high sharp ratio. You can talk about over like three in sharp ratio over the past 10 years. So 4.5% annualized return and about one uh, volatility. So over three in sharp ratio domestic market. You know, Lei, uh, there's an expression in the US, uh, don't fight the Fed. I think it's very similar to what you've just described about China as well. Um, you know, to wrap it up, Alvin, what are some of the biggest lessons you've learned over the years about investing in Chinese bonds? I think the biggest lesson I've learned is that always I mean, put your attention to the long-term trend in the China bond market. I think give a lot of changes that over the economic structure and now in this phase that um, the general paradigm is shifting. If you look at the performance of the really super long end government bonds in China across these years, and then how the local government financing vehicle bonds perform in the past few years, it is actually driven by a very big change in the policy and where the country is going, how it's going to solve its risk. These kind of opportunities, they generate big returns. And then when you see this big trend, you have been very firm and you have to play big on these big themes. So believe in the long-term trend and put your bet on that and just hold it. Lei, what about you? Yeah, I totally agree. Don't fight the fat. And in China, is just go together with PBOC, right? So, uh, yeah, so for the China market, it's very important to understand the structure of it. And then, uh, like, it's a 70% rates market and a 30%, I would say, mostly stay-owned enterprise market. And, and it's not a, like a, people thinking it's a high yield, it's a property. Understanding the market structure is very important. 
and also the driving force. So who are the participants? As the name tells you, interbank market, the majority are banks, right? So these are relatively stable investors. And we also look at fundamentals, meaning like now China means CPI, I mean, definitely real rate is very high. It's not just look at the yield itself. As a foreign investor, we also have the option to go either hatched or unhatched. So at the moment, investors like hatched because you're hedging back to US dollar, you get a pickup around like 2.5 to 3%. So that make even that 2.5% government bond in China very attractive. You get almost like 45 to 5% and in the environment, the rates are going down. So it's not just looking at the yield itself and also looking at what's the comparable yield if you hedge back to US dollar. Marty, just so many interesting facets of the market, both in terms of the risk and the return, and so many misconceptions, you know, exactly what Lei was talking about in terms of you just presume that the fixed income market is all about Chinese property. Yeah, you're right, Catherine. And earlier, Lei talked about Chinese government bonds as their contribution to global benchmarks. That's something institutional investors are quite familiar with. But, you know, when you sort of react to what you just said about equities getting more focused than fixed income. Retail investors, I don't think they're as aware of the dynamics in Chinese government bonds. I thought the conversation we had about access to the market, and Alvin raised this, Lei raised this, hopefully it's enlightening to some of the people listening. So that brings us to the end of this episode. Thank you to our guests, Lei Xu and Alvin Cheng, and to our other contributors, George Epistopoulos and Crystal Sui. And thank you for listening. If you want to read more about what's been covered today, please go to your local Fidelity website or fidelityinternational.com. The producers were Rory Fong and Noah Sin, with production support from Tommy Su, Keith Chen, Kim Ju Ko, and Seb Morton-Clark. The editor is Richard Edgar. Until next time, from all of us here at Fidelity, goodbye. Goodbye. This podcast is for investment professionals only and should not be relied on by private investors. This podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is intended only for the person or entities to which it is sent. It must not be reproduced or circulated to any other party without prior permission of fidelity. The value of investments can go down as well as up, so you may get back less than you invest. For other important legal notices, please visit your local fidelity website.